Good morning, it's Iowimala, and it's Thursday, June 10th. I uh, have been reading from Gil Fronsdale's book, The Issue at Hand, and it's such a beautiful, his writing is so beautiful, but I wanted to clarify something. <laughs> Whoops, I don't think I tightened my phone in, in its little spot well enough. Well, that was a su surprise. Okay, everything's okay. My phone just fell. Now, it's anchored in. I wanted to uh, talk a little bit more on the difference between feelings and in the Buddhist terminology and uh, emotions, because we often talk about our feelings and emotions uh, as exchangeable words. And in the Buddhist teachings, feelings are more uh, the sensations that we experience in our body based on what's coming to us through our senses. And uh, Bhikkhu Analeo, who teaches and has written a lot about the four foundations of mindfulness. He calls um, feelings, and the Pali word is vedana. He calls those uh, the affective tone or the hedonistic quality of experience. It's tonality. So it's not talking about emotions, which are more they're more complex. That they feelings are in. The sensations are involved, but then emotions become caught up with a lot of mental activity. And uh, I also, from listening to another speaker, a Buddhist teach, a Buddhist monk, um, I had written some notes from a talk, and he talks about uh, feelings are the uh, kind of the sensations that that Vedana, those that Buddhist teachings, they're connected to the six senses. The five senses come in contact with the outside world. That contact produces a sensation, and that creates a feeling, and that's the Vedana. That's the second. This is the second foundation of mindfulness that we that we. It's really good when we understand it. So feeling, we also begin to have uh, mental associations with those sensations. So if that, those mental associations with the feeling can create uh, agitated, it can agitate the, uh, the mind and that becomes an emotion. So it's a that's that connection with the mind and the associations it makes with the sensation that creates emotions. And uh, the interesting thing, I had not remembered that this uh, from a question and answer from that same talk. And what the question was, is happiness an agitation of the mind? And the answer, happiness is a state of peace. In happiness, there is peace and harmony. It is free of mental agitation. So true happiness is, is not 
an emotional state. It doesn't have mental agitation. So that's a, these are things that we can talk about quite a bit. Um, but when we think about true happiness, we're not thinking about it. It's so we think of other emotional states we get into, whether they feel really good to us or whether they feel really bad, there's the, the emotion can be uh, very agitated. And that's what emotion is. There's some agitation of the mind. So when we, when we began our mindfulness practice, we're looking just at the sensations. We learn to, to, to be able to recognize the pleasant, the unpleasant, and the neutral. Just those, that's the sense, the quality that we're looking at of, the, of our body, our physical body, as we, as we scan our body. And we're doing that because we're beginning to learn how um, when we have a pleasant feeling, we, we move towards that. When we have an unpleasant feeling, we, we pull away from that. And neutral can be... Um, neutral can be a state that we just ignore or we let's see what it's important that we recognize that uh, if we have a neutral feeling it it might be associated with boredom and just ignoring something or it can be uh, It can be just an automatic reaction, and it can mean it can. It's it's be the neutral can also be that reaction to something that we clearly see, so we don't have to have an agitated response, or we don't have to have that feeling response of pleasant or unpleasant. Neutral can be wonderful because we recognize and see reality so clearly that we don't have to have aversion or uh, desire for it. Or it can be just um, that we're not paying enough attention that we're, or that we're trying to just ignore something, not see things clearly. So that's how we start working with our body, is being able just to recognize pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And that's just the quality, a tonal quality and then we realize, as we begin to work with our mind, uh, and, you know, Gil Fronsdale puts his, he puts that kind of in between, so he has the essay on feelings, and then, the, then there's the essay on emotions, and then another essay on the mind. And so he's, he's done that, he's kind of positioned the feelings there, because that's... Um, that's then we can work with our emotions, but we have to bring it back to that physical bodily sensation that we can become aware of. And when we can do that with our body, we begin to see and understand the importance of mindfulness because we can see in our bodies before it becomes an emotion that can overwhelm us, we can, we can begin to learn to to experience it in the body. So I wanted to, there's, 
there's so much more. These are wonderful topics, but I didn't want to, uh, I wanted to clarify that because I know it can be, uh, it's, it's, it's a really, it's a deep subject and, and it's something good to, to uh, work with. It's certainly not something that, uh, that's a secret, but uh, I just wanted to be sure that every, you were clear the, about the difference between feelings and emotions. So whenever we do a body scan, that's a wonderful opportunity, and that's why they're so important in the practice of mindfulness. We can scan the body and be aware of that feeling tone in our body, in the different parts. Well, if we have one, if you have the feeling tone of, uh, say, pleasant, it tends to take over the whole body, or aversion, if, if even if, uh, something something is actually feeling perfectly okay, that feeling tone will take over the feet, the sensations in the whole body. So when we do body scans, it's really a good idea to always use that as working with uh, Vedana or feelings. So I hope that didn't just make things more difficult. So we did the investigation, we did, I wanted to read the very, uh, when we looked at mindfulness of, of emotions, we looked at the recognizing them and accepting them and uh, investigating them. But now there's a very short chapter on mindfulness of thoughts. And mindfulness of thoughts is, uh, my goodness, Mindfulness of thoughts is what we're always working with, right, in our meditation. So this is very short, but I think it helps give us this broader view of the different aspects of mindfulness. Begins with another quote. It's from Dhammapada 35 and 36. And I, uh, I know the numbering uh, that Gil Fransdell uses with, with the Dhammapada is different in this book than it is even in his Dhammapada book. So I haven't figured out quite how to translate to, to the numbers that are in most of the Dhammapada books I've seen. But this is Dhammapada 35 and 36. The mind, hard to control, flighty, alighting where it wishes, the disciplined mind brings happiness. The mind, hard to see, subtle, Alighting where it wishes, the sage protects, the watched mind brings happiness. So tamed and watched doesn't say suppressed or controlled or um, enslaved. It says tame and watched. Mindfulness of thoughts. Sometimes people think the point of mindfulness is to stop thinking, to have a silent mind. This does happen occasionally, but it is not necessarily the point of meditation. Thoughts are an important part of life, and mindfulness practice is not supposed to be a struggle against them. We can benefit more by being friends with our thoughts than by regarding them as unfortunate distractions. 
and mindfulness, we are not stopping thoughts as much as overcoming any preoccupation we have with them. I like that. However, mindfulness is not thinking about things either. It is a non-discursive, non-discursive observation of our life in all its aspects. In those, memory, in those moments when thinking predominates, mindfulness is the clear and silent awareness that we are thinking. A piece of advice I found helpful and relaxing was when someone said, for the purpose of meditation, nothing is particularly worth thinking about. Thoughts can come and go as they wish, and the meditator does not need to become involved with them. We are not interested in engaging in the content of our thoughts. Mindfulness of thinking is simply recognizing that we are thinking. In meditation, when thoughts are subtle and in the background, or when random thoughts pull us away from awareness of the present, all we have to do is resume mindfulness of breathing. However, when our preoccupation with thoughts is stronger than our ability to let go of them easily, then we direct mindfulness to being clearly aware that thinking is occurring. Strong bouts of thinking are fueled largely by identification. Thinking will usually then soften to a calm and unobtrusive stream. I think maybe I had a disconnection, so in case I did, I'm going to read those two sen three sentences again. Strong bouts of thinking are fueled largely by identification and preoccupation with thoughts. By clearly observing our thinking, we step outside the field of identification. Thinking will usually then soften to a calm and unobtrusive stream. Sometimes thinking can be strong and compulsive, even while we are aware of it. When this happens, one approach is to notice how such thinking affects the body physically and energetically. It may cause pressure in the head, tension in the forehead, tightness of the shoulders, or a buzzing as if the head were filled with thousands of bumblebees. Let your mindfulness feel the sensations of tightness, pressure, or whatever you discover. To be caught up in the story of these preoccupying thoughts is easy, but if you feel the, sen the physical sensation of thinking, then you are bringing attention to the present moment rather than the storyline of the thoughts. So feel that's very important, isn't it? Um, to be caught up in the story of these preoccupying thoughts is easy, but if you feel the physical sensation of thinking, then you are bringing attention to the present moment rather than the storyline of the thoughts. It's very, very, very good uh, recommendation. When a particular theme keeps reappearing in your thinking, most likely it is triggered by a strong emotion. In that case, no matter how many times you recognize a repeated thought concern and come back to the breath, the concern is liable to keep reappearing 
if the associated emotion isn't recognized. And remember, we do know that it, that that emotion, a strong emotion especially, is that agi- agitated sensation. It's an agitation. For example, people who plan a lot often find that planning thoughts arise out of apprehension. If the fear is not acknowledged, it will become a factor of new planning thoughts. So if there is a repetitive thought pattern, see if you can discover an emotion associated with it, and then practice mindfulness of that emotion. Ground yourself in the present moment in the emotion itself. When you recognize the emotion, often the thoughts it engenders will cease. Thoughts are a huge part of our lives. Many of us spend much time inhabiting the cognitive world of stories and ideas. Mindfulness practice won't stop the thinking, but it will help prevent us from compulsively following thoughts that have appeared. And this, in turn, will help us become more balanced so that our physical, emotional, and cognitive sides all work together as a whole. They can live happily ever after with rather constant uh, mindfulness. (laughs) So I just think that those are beautiful. Those essays are beautiful, and they really help tie. So the way to know the feelings, the sensations we can be aware of in our body, and then help us work with feelings, which are those those agitated states of feeling. And um, you know, we all know people who really we say that they love drama. Um, and there may be people, sometimes we know people who who um, even fight letting, that really fight letting go of the drama, even in a very unhealthy mental state. So maybe they've been even given prescriptions to help them uh, balance the emotional state, and they they very frequently will just come off of their medicines on their own without talking to the to a doctor. And uh, it's, it's often, the reason is, is because they are so used to those extreme emotional states. They, they don't want, they feel kind of dead inside if they don't have those. So that's, though we've, we know those situations and we've seen them mirrored in our own lives. Even if we think we're extremely balanced emotionally and emotionally healthy, um, we've all been in situations where that the agitated emotional state is more exciting. It uh, makes us feel more alive, and we we may come back and back to a situation that create that that gives us lots of chances to have our emotions agitated. Have our, have our feelings agitated because there's something exciting about it and it makes uh, it, it, the challenges invigorating. And in fact, that quality of equanimity has to be, uh, we have to begin to look at that too, don't we? 
that uh, that balanced state, that true happiness, that the balanced state where there there isn't that agitated feeling, is uh, is something we so so rarely experience. So we may often associate it with boredom or uh, just dullness, and we don't we don't realize that 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 balanced state is also from clearly seeing things. So we don't need to get caught up in that agitation because we're able to really see what's happening and what's going on, and we can make more choices about how we respond to it. So I think that's beautiful. Those, there's just These teachings are so wonderful and can be so helpful to us. So I think our time is about up. Uh, and I keep having a, a connection problems. So um, just find that spot where you're sitting or standing or walking or in, in bed. And remember the mindfulness practice of if you're listening in bed because you that's the only time you have or uh, my voice helps you fall asleep. Remember that mindfulness practice of seeing if you can be aware of the very, uh, the very second when you fall asleep. Be aware of actually the sensation of that falling asleep. So let your body relax and just be aware of the body breathing. With every breath in, just feel gratitude for being able to breathe. As you breathe out, send gratitude to all, all the beings. You make that possible. grateful for our, all our teachers in this world, for the teachers who bring wisdom, for the teachings of the, of the Buddha that are still here thousands of years since his death. These teachings are still accessible to us. And actually, the teachings of the Buddha are more accessible to us now than they've ever been, unless you had the great uh, 
opportunity to be a student of the Buddha himself when he was alive. grateful for this world that is another very powerful teacher every day we can experience more and more and see more and more truths as our own clarity grows we can begin to see the world as it is learn more from it than we ever have. We're all learning more about how to take care of the earth itself. We're all seeing more than ever how interconnected we are with all other living beings. Just let your day be filled with gratitude. Look on, look on the teachers that even the pandemic has brought to us. Some have been hard lessons. Some have been just uh, a more stillness in our lives to let us see the teachers that have always been in front of us. Just think about all of those. They're easy lessons and hard lessons. And we know, we all know our world is changing. And while that it creates anxiety, of course, it also brings new opportunities, more opportunities to be grateful too. Welcome the unwelcome and the welcome. Thank you so much for being in my, in my practice with me, <laughs> being with me in my practice. And I'll see you tomorrow. Have, have a beautiful day and keep thinking about gratitude. Take care. Keep sitting if you have a few more minutes and you can.